friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiBiazza checking in with you here on this Friday. Happy Friday. You know, on Friday, we always do the wrap-up, and I come to you with everything that's going on in culture and tech and politics, economics, current events. Uh, some things are funny to me. Some things are scared or scary or weird. Uh, I bring everything to you that I can. And uh, while you are here, make sure that you get all the updates that we're bringing to the community on newwaveentrepreneur.com. Again, I always say, as I always say, this is not just a podcast. You're listening to this on the podcast, but what this represents is the whole community. And we're doing things together. We're learning to grow together. We are doing workshops together. We're meeting up in person. We are sharing some content. We're working with each other on our businesses. We're motivating and encouraging each other, holding each other accountable. Even if it's in something as simple as the Discord community, which is available by going to newwaveentrepreneur.com, signing up on the email list, and then I'll give you access to that community. It's free. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And of course, so you get the updates on this show specifically, make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast you're listening to, this on, or whatever platform you're listening to this on, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all that. And uh, leave a comment, leave a review. It helps us to get better guests, better show notes, better, better show notes, better uh, sh- show ratings, better uh, quality of, um, of, of content we're putting out for you. So thank you so much in advance. And let's jump into today's news. Okay, so uh, I'm reading this one right here. This one's coming across my desk from CNBC. Thank God. It says, uh, TSA will not enforce COVID mask mandate on planes, public transport, uh, etc. after court ruling, the White House says. And it says here, uh, a Florida judge has ruled that the CDC has overstepped its authority uh, when it issued a mandate for public transportation and uh, that, there, that the CDC mandate for uh, masks on planes and in public transit will no longer be in effect, although they still do recommend wearing them. This is also something that always kind of confused me a little bit because there's a CDC mandate, but the CDC itself isn't a government organization and a mandate isn't a law. So it's like saying your aunt strongly recommends something, but your parents are the lawmakers and a rule is a rule. So someone who's an outsider recommending something or, or suggesting something is different than there being a law. But I think that there actually were federal laws because when I hear, so, so CNBC says here, CDC mandate, but I believe there are actually federal laws for this because whenever I went onto the plane, they would say federal law requires you to wear a mask, a face covering in all public transit areas. And I, I wonder if that's actually true or if it was a federal mandate or CDC mandate and that was a jargon that was being misused because oftentimes that will happen where they'll say they'll they'll it's kind of like the telephone game and you you play multiple telephones and all of a sudden it's a different message I wonder if that was the case because I'm also hearing from some people that the mandates aren't actually legally enforceable because they're not laws. They never made it into law. And so these are, so So I'm just, I'm just wondering how that works. Anyway, the CDC is repealing this apparently. And I've noticed this too. I've been uh, driving, I've been riding Uber for the past couple of weeks. So I'll, I'll share that story with you later, but the masks aren't happening there anymore. I just came in from a few different trips. Uh, and so I'm assuming that the mask mandate was still in effect then because the flight attendants were still mean, man. They were like, get that mask up over your mouth and your nose, sir. What are you, a fucking idiot? Get it up. I was like, ma'am, I was just drinking some of this juice that you provided me. But I'm happy to see that we're repealing this. Uh, one of the things I was concerned about going into the pandemic was how long would the mask mandates be in effect? Because I do genuinely think it's bad for society. I understand the health concerns. And if you want to wear a mask, I think more power to you. But I'm not sure that everyone wearing a mask actually creates a safer environment. And there's always a cost to things. It's never never any free lunch. And I think that we, I, I wish we could, we could always, we could admit that. 
you know, with the masks, depending on what information you're looking at, there is either a negligible or a significant effect to the the medical protection of the mask. But there's also the social and the mental and the emotional impact of going what is essentially faceless. Now, you might think this is stupid because you could say, well, in Asian countries, they've been wearing masks for years or surgeons wear masks all the time. But I think that you'll see, especially if you work with kids, and I work with kids every week, you know, I teach kids class, and them wearing masks is not the best for communication because there's a lot that's missed in nonverbal cues, which we know is like 80% or more of communication. So you lose a lot in that mask situation. And, um, and it just, it doesn't feel good. Like there's also something to be said for just like wanting to feel comfortable in your own skin and wanting to not always have this thing strapped on your face. And then when you compare that with the, or when you combine that with being locked down for a certain amount of time and you combine that with some other factors, it's like, yeah, the mask had to go, man. So I, I'm, I'm over it. I'm happy that it's ending. Uh, one thing I'll say is that I don't always think it's a bad thing to have them. And, and I sometimes riding on the plane, I would use the bathroom. Like, I'm glad I have a mask on right now. This place is gross, dude. Like, happy to have a mask on. So I don't even think having a mask in an airport is a bad situation for you to be able to take, put on and take off when you want to. It's more like I don't want to feel like an outcast for wearing a mask at the grocery store. Or, you know, and, and a lot of the, the public mask mandates have come down. But for a while, especially where I am in Oregon, it was very, uh, it was just very much like you're a pariah if you walk in there with no with no mask. So I'm glad to see that that's fading. I hope that it stays uh, fading. Although another thing I will note, just moving on before we move on from this, is that I think it's created uh, a pattern where we'll more easily accept other types of restrictions in the future because we were able for two years to say you have to do this, otherwise you can't ride with us, otherwise you can't be, you can't sit with this at this table. You know, I think that we have just seen the beginnings of what is a, a system of control similar to what happened with 9-11. And it's like, look, they're not going to restrict plane flight after 9-11, but what will happen is they will permanently change the way that security happens in airports. And uh, privacy is taken away in measures. Liberty is taken away in measures. So it takes a process of people being psychologically indoctrinated to a certain fear or a certain concern before they can accept a new reality. With 9-11, it happened where, well, we have a terrorist threat, and that has resulted in now me being butt crack searched or me not being able to have a simple toothpaste tube going through the airport, which honestly, when I think about it, I know it sounds dumb, but I get, it makes me feel indignant. I, I feel annoyed with it, even though it's it's just part of it. And of course, you can get pre-check uh, or clear and you can pass right through it, which is funny to me because to me, it just goes back to showing that all of that really, and same thing with the COVID mask, was, was really just about profit. Like there's no, first of all, if your machine, if your radar, if your x-ray machine can't tell the difference between a jug of water and a bomb, then that machine is not worth a lot. And the fact that if you want to go a layer deeper than that, the government works with independent technology and military contractors to create these forever contracts where they perpetually pass money in between them. This is the reason why we were spending, this is not a typo, and I know I'm going way off the mask mandate here, then we'll come back to it. But this is why we're spending, we spent $300 million per day. That's not a mistake or a typo. $300 million per day on the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, where was most of that money going to? It was going to contractors. It was going to a lot of these big defense contractors, a lot of smaller contractors, and it was also going literally in cash payments to warlords in these specific regions. 
Now, this is not information that I'm making up. This is information that's well documented in reputable news sources, in many of them. And also, I have direct uh, access to people who work special forces over there who tell me, yeah, we would take bricks of cash and give it to people who are warlords in certain territories so that they would give us safe passage to carry out our other missions in other areas. So it's like paying the Taliban to go attack the Taliban. And a lot of times they would know where the Taliban would know where attacks are going to take place and they would selectively empty out people who they didn't want to get executed from that attack. And we would have to pay them so that they would remove or reroute. When I say we, America, the troops would pay them, the, we, the government would pay them so that we would either be able to have safe passage or so they would remove the IEDs or so that they would give us safe air coverage. Like there's a whole system of money going back and forth here. And a lot of this comes down to like these government contracts and Certainly at the airports, it's part of that. When I see these big x-ray scanning machines, I'm like, oh, I paid for that with my tax dollars and it can't even det supposedly detect. And why every time? Why when I wear a hoodie, they say, let me check your arm, sir. Let me check. Oh, do you have something in your neck, sir? No, I don't have anything in my neck. I didn't put a bomb in my neck. And it's like, it's like, and when you look at the, you have these like sophisticated machines and you look at it, there's like a stick figure on there. And it's like, and it's, it's so nonspecific. Oh, you have a yellow orange square somewhere in your upper torso, sir. Let me feel it. Like that's what our technology is buying. We're putting people like Elon Musk is like working on Neuralink, which is linking the brain to a human computer. We're doing quantum computing. And yet you can't tell if I actually have a bomb or a toothpaste, you know, and we pay for that. And then they're, they're, you know, they're feeling in your junk. And so, so that's just an inconvenience. But I think more than anything, that's come as a, as a, something that's like sunk cost of us having already invested so much emotional energy in security of, t from terrorism that now we're not going to reverse those systems, even though I don't think they actually really help anybody really when it comes down to it. When we catch terrorists, I'm sure there are things that happen that go down in the airports that we don't know about and the public would be, you know, surprised to know. But I think generally speaking, these are the touch points where we're, where we're catching terrorists, okay? And a terrorist would be much smarter than to get their samurai sword caught up in the carry-on baggage, you know, going onto the plane. First of all, they have plastic explosives. They have plastic, they have things that are decoys. Like there's all these different ways. And I've gone through security by accident before with things I wasn't supposed to have. So I know you can. And um, not only that, but on the other side of security directly, you can buy water. And I know that they just want me to pour it out then they want me to then immediately have to pay for it when I get to the other side. It's like, you guys suck. This is clearly about profit. And I felt like it was kind of like that with the masks. It's like when those masks came into effect, how much industry was created from all the PPE gear you had to have? Sanitizer, masks, you know, um, different types of, you know, gloves, all these different things. I went to the airport, they have like PPE vending kits now. Um, so anyway, all that, it creates more money. And I'm happy to see this go away. I was worried to see how long it would take, but I think it creates this this mental wedge of us being able to do this. And I say us, like different types of government authority or different types of consumer uh, product brands creating these needs for us out of something that maybe wasn't even there or has been exacerbated or exaggerated by these public policies, which may not even have been actual laws. I think they're actually just mandates by the CDC, which actually isn't a government organization, but a separate entity. So I just think about these things and I'm glad that this is passing. Now let's move on, God damn it, to the next piece of news. Now, this is what I'm reading right now about Elon Musk, according to Business Insider. According to Business Insider, Elon Musk, the world's richest person, doesn't own a home right now and rotates around friends' spare rooms. That's very interesting. Now. This is something I've been I've been hearing about recently because I heard that there was uh, maybe some problems with him and his 
uh, living girlfriend slash partner slash alien Grimes, who he has one child with and now having a second child. And the kid's name is like AEX523, which is like the name of their favorite uh, model of stealth fighter, which I suppose is going to be really hard on teachers. But then I can't see their kid being in public school gym class, you know. And what I was hearing was that um, he, I don't know if this is not true because this is a new article of Business Insider, but at one point he had built a small house on the Tesla factory property, which would be in, I know SpaceX is in Torrance. I guess Tesla is now in Austin. But he built a small um, house there, like a cheap house, like a $50,000, you know, middle of America house, like a one bedroom, I think, or maybe a two bedroom. And him and Grimes and his baby were living in this house on the property because he wanted to be very, (laughs) he wanted to be so efficient. And I know for a while he was sleeping in the actual Tesla factory. And again, I'm like, now I'm telling you hearsay, hearsay. But what was being said was that she's like, we can't live like this. You're the richest person in the world and we're living poor, which is, I'm sure, part of the reason why they're having issues, which to me, it could be fake, but it sounds possibly, potentially true because that just sounds like something he would do. According to Business Insider says, Musk was responding to a comment about how many people criticize billionaires for their wealth. Quote, I don't even own a place right now. I'm literally staying at friends' places. Uh, Elon Musk said, in an interview with Chris Anderson, a head of a conference organizers for TED. Uh, if I traveled to the Bay Area, uh, which is where most of Tesla's engineering is, I basically rotate through friends' spare bedrooms. Musk, who has an estimated net worth of $251 billion, according to Bloomberg, was responding to Anderson's comment that many are offended with the concept of billionaires given global disparities in wealth. U.S. lawmakers such as Sean, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren have also criticized mega billionaires like uh, Musk for their comparatively low tax bills. Quote, for sure, it would be very problematic if I was spending billions of dollars a year in personal consumption, but that's not the case, Musk told Anderson, adding that he doesn't own a yacht or really take vacations, though he famously does have a personal jet. Um, So, okay, this is interesting because Musk is certainly an example of, and we talked about him last week or a few weeks ago with his his Tesla acquisition or at least a part of it. Uh, Musk is an interesting character because he's now the richest person in the world. He's worth a quarter trillion, which seems overinflated because I I just can't see how the price of Tesla can be that high. And I think even he would agree. And I don't know if there's a way where with his level of wealth, you're going to stop people from hating on him. He's the richest person in the world. That's the number one spot to hate on. So obviously, it's not about his personal wealth. But I I don't know if anyone's talking about his personal wealth, at least when I think about his wealth. I think more about the power that comes with that wealth, like the fact that he can buy Twitter and say, you know, I want to buy this whole platform. That alone to me is more of the issue than his personal wealth. I could care less if he's buying it houses and Lamborghinis. I would kind of expect him to buy, you know, extravagant stuff. But I think it's the control that comes with that wealth. And me personally, I get nervous that someone with that much money will use it to have unchecked power. And especially when I see uh, Musk and when I see Bezos and Branson now reaching into space and creating these uh, these satellite programs, for instance, like Starlink, these are low orbit satellites that float low in the atmosphere and can create potentially uh, radioactive pollution or at least just physical pollution. Even on the like the in our atmosphere, when I was in Santa Monica living there, they had these things called uh, Lime or Bird, which are these scooters. And you can ride these scooters everywhere. I don't know if they're in Portland, but they're all over the city. And there was a huge boom for like three or four years in L.A. where they were everywhere. And they created so much waste, man. Like 
Well, they would be in the oceans. We'd see them on the beach. We'd see them in public dumpsters. We'd see them on the sidewalks. We'd see them, you know, by doorsteps. And, like, people just trash them, leave them. Homeless people would shit on them. They'd be in the ocean creating electronic trash. It's like you put these things out here, and humans are naturally messy, you know, and these are this is electronic waste that doesn't deteriorate at all. And now that's happening again, but with satellites flying low in our atmosphere. When I say low orbit, I think it means that they're like about a thousand feet up in the atmosphere. They're not that low because they have to be low enough to create a strong Wi-Fi signal quickly because these bigger satellites, it takes too long to connect to them. But to create like streaming and buffering media, you have to have these low orbit satellites. And the whole idea behind Starlink is like creating uh, universally ex accessible internet, which I think is a great idea. But I just, it, it, it concerns me that, again, we can create these things and they can go unchecked and on the one hand you can say well Na you know um spacex is actually doing things that nasa couldn't do so spacex in private space flight and space technology is actually doing better than government could so it's a good thing and that is a fair and valid point but where's the power stop so i don't know you know the fact that elon musk doesn't have a house right now that doesn't really mean anything like a billionaire saying i don't own a house it's about the capability to own whatever house you want. It's not saying, oh, I don't even have a Rolex. Like, sir, that's not even the point. It, 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 it's, 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 your, it's your power and your reach. I don't think anybody cares really how you spend your money personally. Yes, people will bitch about the fact that billionaires have yachts and planes, but I don't know. So that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. But Elon, Elon's also an interesting character too because I personally support his projects with my dollars. So I'll like invest in Tesla and I have a Tesla, and I'll uh, be a fanboy of it in that way. But then I look at his actual, um, I, I think he has a strong ethos uh, in terms of like what he wants for the world. And, um, and I, I generally believe him, but I don't want to idolize anybody too much. So I don't want to be anyone too much in anyone's cult because never, you know, your idols will always disappoint you. So never be too much into one person's cult, drink too much of one person's Kool-Aid. And um, I think that, you can also be blind to your own ambition if you're really, really ambitious, which obviously he is. And um, there's also then just the argument that he's an alien and that he's not actually a human. He's operating from, you know, he's sent here to to help humanity in some way. And he's like the next piece of evolution to get us to that next phase. The amount of work that he's doing in such a short time frame of his life is pretty incredible. He's running Tesla, SpaceX, uh, um, SolarCity, Neuralink, The Boring Company. Now he wants to own Twitter. It's like, wow, you know? So I don't know. It also goes to show you too that there's no amount of achievement that can really make you happy. I don't know what his internal state's like. Maybe he's just like very sterile. It's like a sterile internal environment, like a like an, uh, an, an operating office, or maybe there's a lot going on there, like a Pablo Picasso, I would assume. But I would just assume that like people at that level can't be satisfied because look at, look at, look at uh, Bezos. It's like, when is more enough? Like you can say, oh, I'm doing this for humanity, but can you really be doing it for humanity when you're, that more because like if you look at some really ascended masters you look at like jesus or buddha or muhammad like you don't have to be like them but they show they were able to show that like everything you need is within you and it's in here everything you need is already internal all the technology we need is already internal we don't actually need more you know so it's clear that those guys have a life mission to carry out this task but it also just makes you think how could it not be from completely ego-driven obsession with like results because you know there's a it might be better like the world might be better if we didn't have so much pushing for technology. Like, do, more technology doesn't always mean better. I don't think the evolution of human consciousness has to be in lockstep with the evolution of technology. Like, 
just because quantum computing becomes a thing, it doesn't mean humans are going to be better for it. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to be, we're going to evolve as a species because we don't know how to not do something. When we can do it, we do do it. If we have a vaccine, we're going to try to make it. Like we even saw that with COVID, like we know now, or at least there's strong, strong evidence. I know we're going back to COVID that there was gain of function research. Gain of function research basically is trying to create super viruses to see how we can neutralize them in a controlled environment. Um, gain of function means the ability to like really excel in the human environment and be able to create these, uh, these like really dangerous pathogens and how do we neutralize those. And from what I read, we were testing those, uh, those concepts in Wuhan and obviously something happened in Wuhan. So there was some sort of leak or mistake or mutation, something happened and it created this coronavirus thing. You know, again, again, do your own looking into that. But like that has been something that's been widely reported on, not just by fringe outlets, but by the Congress. Congress had hearings on whether or not there was gain of function and not everyone in Congress was in agreement. Um, So look into it. And the question is like, when is well enough good enough? When can we just leave it alone? Do we always have to be progressing with technology to feel like we're evolving as a society? I don't think we do. I think that we should focus less on, because we're so, we're so smart, but we're not always very wise. We're smart, but dumb. And I think that sometimes we should focus on developing our EQ over our IQ. Humans are constantly working on IQ, trying to get smarter, trying to develop new technologies. But it seems like we're getting dumber emotionally. Like we're doing things to each other that are affecting the environment, for instance, and we are the environment. It'd be like, it's like a tree lighting itself on fire. We are, we're growing from the ground. You listening to this because you're listening to this on a podcast think, oh, I'm separate from the environment because I'm listening and I'm conscious and I'm not a leaf. I'm obviously not a leaf because I, I can look at a leaf. But dude, you are that. You are physically connected to the world because you're made of the same elements. And if you think about it all the way back, just like those Russian nesting dolls where there's like a doll inside a doll inside a doll inside a doll, that's you inside your mom, inside everyone else until the beginning of the earth. So you're all, you are the earth. You are the elements, you are the environment, you're just uh, a, a perspective of consciousness recognizing itself. You're a perspective of the universal consciousness recognizing itself. And that's why sometimes you feel separate from the universe, but you are the universe. And if you recognize that, it would be harder for you to like pollute the universe, for instance, or pollute other people's minds. And we're doing that, I think, too much. And our intelligence isn't stopping us from doing that. But the fact that we don't have enough wisdom is, and maybe if we could focus on EQ, which is emotional intelligence over IQ, we would get further along in our evolution than we would if we only focused on technology, which I think technology ultimately will come to a point that might kill us. We might invent something so good that it kills us. Even if you look at the atomic bomb, it's an amazement. I'm in amazement that we haven't blown ourselves up yet. Not even going to go down this rabbit hole, but it's crazy that America is the only country to have ever used that technology, knowing what we know now, knowing what it can do. And the fact that we have the audacity to police other people for potentially having or using it when we're the only only nation in the history of humanity that's used that technology it's atrocious what we did to japanese civilians with an att- can you imagine them dropping an a-bomb over portland can you imagine japan because of some shit that biden is doing drops an a-bomb over portland that would be devastating and we liquefy people we turn people and ordinary citizens to dust and we use that technology and we have better technology than that now do you know that that the u.s consistently uses the marshall islands as testing grounds for atomic waste and that what we've done in the ocean which is in the pacific is we've created what's called a radioactive coffin a casket of radioactive waste that we've buried down there for decades 
and is now slowly leaking because we haven't actually done the adequate repairs on it. It's leaking radioactive fluid. Now, the, the, the Marshall Islands are U.S. territory, like Puerto Rico, okay? This is, these are U.S. citizens. And this radioactive casket, this tomb, is leaking um, toxic, wasteful materials, which is uh, causing all the plant life and animal life to die in the area, and also causing birth defects even now in citizens of the Marshall Islands, which who are citizens of the U.S., we have, or the Marshall Islands have requested millions of dollars in aid and also assistance in, in, in fixing this radioactive waste issue that we've created. By, and all we did was we, we detonated bombs in the ocean to test them. We were detonating bombs there. The Marshall Islands, who are U.S. citizens, have asked for us to resolve this. We have not resolved this. And we've only paid back something like two million of the hundreds of millions that we owe this country. Meanwhile, we're sending tons of money to other places that are off the books, that, we don't, that aren't really serving real interests of our people. So that's just technology, okay? And that's what we're able to do with technology. Now, obviously, there's a lot of politics in there, but I can imagine that our technology is even further from that now. So it's amazing that we haven't done more damage than we have. And I think there, there is an opportunity for us. If there's even a few people listening to this show, that means there are a few people who are of the mindset of wanting to create change. And hopefully, this mind virus spreads and we have a positive idea virus and a positive mind virus. But all this going back to Elon, you know, how much is... You know, when is well enough, good enough? How much technology is too much technology? That's what I think of when I think of these billionaires taking over these media companies all, and all this stuff. And it doesn't make me feel any better that he doesn't have a house, okay? That's gaslighting, bro. You're, you're the closest person to a trillionaire. That doesn't mean anything, okay? You could buy everyone's house. It doesn't matter. So no, Elon, I don't feel bad for you. And I still will invest in your products. And I help make you a trillionaire. So what, yeah, fuck, you know, it's like Mark Zuckerberg, same thing. It's like, I really don't like uh, what Mark Zuckerberg has created and I will promote my stuff on his platform and I will pay him money. And I've spent, in the past years, I've spent probably over a million dollars on Facebook ads and I've spent my own money investing like into Facebook stock and my own time on the platform, so much time. Time is the biggest investment that I've made on the platform on Instagram and on Facebook and on uh, WhatsApp and all those platforms. I, I even have a, I have a freaking Oculus, which is also meta. That time is what I really can't get back. And so that's why I spent the most of it. But, you know, it's very hypocritical to be a content creator on these platforms, to be someone who benefits from the users of these technologies, or it feels hypocritical. But then again, you say, if, if there's only a few people who own all the technology, how hypocritical is it? Because if Elon Musk is going to own Twitter and Tesla, and he's going to own all these companies, he's going to own something that everyone touches. Same thing with Warren Buffett, who owns Berkshire, who owns everything from pieces of Coca-Cola, textiles, and now Zuckerberg, who wants to own the whole metaverse. So... Yeah, I don't know. And then it comes up with the conversation of ethical investing. I don't want to go there. That's the news. Here's the next one. Okay, this is a great headline from CNET. And this says, solar panels that work at night have been developed at Stanford. This is really cool. So here are the bullets on this. The coldness of outer space is an important renewable energy source that most people don't even know about. And a process known as radio or Radiative cooling can harness the energy from the cold vacuum of space. And this research proves that you can generate energy through the night sky. And this is so interesting because most people think of only being able to generate solar energy when the sun is out, which is obviously, that it's a solar energy. But think about it like this. How much of the solar energy that we created last year was created at night? None. So we have all this potential for, because so, if you think about it, the sun is still shining at night. It's just in a different position because the, the moon is not shining. The moon is reflecting the light of the sun, which is just a giant burning star, right? And the moon is like a, a mirror that reflects that light at different phases. 
And so, and, and the stars are also emitting their own light. And so it says researchers at Stanford modified commercially available solar panels to generate a small amount of electricity at night by exploiting a process known as radiative cooling, which relies on the vacuum of space. So this research was published in Applied Letters in Physics. While the modified panels generate a tiny amount of energy compared with what a solar panel, a modern solar panel is during the day, the energy could still be useful, especially at night when energy demand is much lower, says researchers. Technically speaking, the modified solar panel didn't, uh, doesn't generate uh, solar energy at night. Instead of exploiting sunlight or starlight or moonlight, which still doesn't work, the researchers added technology that exploits radiative cooling. Ah, so I was even wrong when I, when I mentioned this. So what it does is it doesn't actually harness the moonlight, uh, which this says still doesn't work, or the, or, or the sunlight that's actually happening at night, but it actually operates on different technology. So it says when an object is facing the sky at night, it radiates heat out to outer space, which means that an object can become cooler than the air temperature around it. This effect could have an obvious, could have obvious applications in cooling buildings, but the difference in temperature can also be used to generate electricity. A professor of engineering and his fellow researchers added technology to a commercial solar panel that could do just that and were able to generate a small amount of electricity at night. So the modified panel generated 50 milliwatts per square meter at night. Uh, while that's much more than previous iterations of the te technology, it's well below what a commercial solar panel can produce during the day. One uh, back-of-the-envelope calculation returns close to 200 watts per square meter for one commercial solar panel. One watt is equal to 1,000 milliwatts. So yeah, still. so what I got from this is two things. One, there are multiple ways to generate energy uh, that is energy from the sun. So it's solar energy, but it's not light energy. Solar energy also implies the energy used, created from the heating of objects and then the, the response of the cooling to that as well. And so that, because there's like solar heating, which essentially is like microwaving, right? Like it's like, well, it's radiative, radiative heating, right? So that is kind of, so it's, it's, it's solar energy from that perspective. And, the, but it also, this article also pointed out to me that Potentially, they are working on using starlight or exploiting sunlight or moonlight at night. They say it still doesn't work, which to me tells me that there's a possibility for it to work at some point. And I wonder what that would be like. Um, so we could be generating solar energy uh, year round, night round or day round, which could also be particularly useful in um, climates where they don't get a lot of sunlight or where there's a lot of uh, cloud coverage maybe Portland. But either way, I think it's really, really cool. That's some science some science headlines for you. Okay, let's go to the next one. Ooh, this is interesting. Okay, so this is coming from BBC. So the headline is, Highway Code, Watching TV in Self-Driving Cars to be Allowed? Oh, this can't be good. So according to BBC, uh, the changes, well, uh, well here, here's the, the lead-in. People using self-driving cars will be allowed to watch television on built-in screens under proposed updates to the highway code. The changes will say drivers must be ready to take back control of vehicles when prompted, the government said. The first use of self-driving technology is likely to be when traveling at slow speeds on motorways such as congested traffic. However, using mobile phones while driving will remain illegal. No self-driving cars are currently permitted on UK roads, uh, but the first vehicles capable of driving themselves could be ready for uh, use later this year, the Department of Transportation said. So wait. There, so no self-driving. Self-driving means, does that mean fully automated with a human in it, like a Tesla driving or autonomous? I think they just mean Teslas. As planned, charges, uh, changes to the code are expected to come over the summer. The updates proposed following public, the updates proposed following public consultation, I wonder what that means, were described as an interim measure to support the early adoption of the, of the technology and a full regulatory framework is planned to be implemented by 2025. It's always five years in the future. So let's see. They, they will also lay out 
that users of self-driving cars will not be responsible for crashes? Instead, insurance companies, not individuals, will be liable for claims in many circumstances. <laughs> wow, that is interesting. So this goes a little bit further to say the automated lane keeping system technology lets a vehicle uh, drive in a single lane up to 37 miles per hour while maintaining their ability to return control to the driver when required. Under the new guidance, motorists should be ready to take control from an automated system when prompted, for example, when approaching a motorway exit. Um, so currently the available technology is assistive, which means drivers should always retain control. So that's, I think, a little bit different than in the U.S., which I believe, I mean, obviously I have a, a Tesla and it does have the autopilot and I don't think it's against the law because I don't think it's against the law. It's, it was given to me this way. So I'm assuming that the laws are different in the U.K. than are here. Um, that, it, I don't know, to me, I, I'm like going like two for two with, uh, with me, like or three for three now with me, like saying, uh, fuck this article or fuck this headline. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my thought is that I guess it's inevitable that we'd be watching TV while we're driving because this is what we all have wanted. We've all waited for this moment. We've all waited so that we could finally just sit back and let the car drive us. But I don't feel comfortable. As someone who has a car that can drive autonomously, I can tell you it's not all it's cracked up to be. It doesn't make the same decisions that I would. And that's why I don't use it that much. Like a specific example is when I'm driving and a car in front of me uh, cuts into me with, you know, less than a few cars lengths distance, or if they stop short, the car does stop. But if I'm paying attention, I stop sooner than the car stops, especially if there are conditions where um, the traffic conditions are, are cloudy or unclear or foggy or rainy because it's cameras that's detecting that information of distance. So um, I, I have just gotten in a few situations where I've been driving. And I'm like, that was stopping too close. Now you can adjust the settings of like, how many car lengths distance you want in front of you in the next car. But if a car is going quickly as a driver, you know, going quickly and cuts in front of you, your car sometimes, or sometimes if you're driving as a human, you can kind of see what a car is doing and you have driven so many thousands of times that you know, okay, they're cutting in front of me to move to another lane. So you don't have like a herky jerk reaction to it, but the car will be like, arr, arr, you know, cause it doesn't know what, doesn't know what the person in front of you is doing. And that has made me nervous. And I certainly would not, um, take my attention off the wheel to watch it to watch a movie that is not and i have seen people doing that i think and i think right now the the teslas aren't allowed to uh, play movies in their horizontal screens while the car is driving only when parked that's a simple software update they can change but i have seen people like reading a book or watching their phone while the tesla's driving for them and i just think you're crazy man like i would almost rather i would almost rather like like drive the car from the passenger seat somehow then not look at the car while I'm driving. Um, Cause I don't generally trust humans. Like if we, okay, if we were all automated, I think it would be totally fine because then it would be like in a way going to Disneyland and we're all in the small world ride. It's a small world after, you know, and it's just like the cars on the track and there's no crashes on it's a small, there probably will be some crashes when this is first getting kicked off. But I would assume the car crash instance is gonna go way down. When everything gets automated, and there's no human decision-making in there. People aren't deciding to speed based on personal preference. It's just going with the flow. If you look at Minority Report, it looks a lot different than it looks uh, here because there's no brakes in the traffic. The traffic just flows because it's all automated. Now, the only place you can see that on earth besides Minority Report is in Morocco where traffic moves so fast, there are no street signs and there are no lanes. But that's a different type of technology and that's ancient technology and I don't know how to use it. I was uh, freaking out trying to just cross the street in Morocco. But either way, uh, I 
I won't be putting my my car in full autopilot to watch uh, movies, and I would not recommend you do the same. And I understand why they are regulating that, and it's probably a good from I think it's a good idea from the perspective of not giving tickets uh, to people who are looking at the screen while they're driving because it's pretty hard to not look at some screen while you're driving. Now, yeah, I've been ticketed for that while I've been here, so I have a soft, a soft spot for it. But I think generally speaking, like you should definitely. Well, I don't know. I guess if I were the city planner, I would probably, or if I were, if I were the police or the the people trying to change the laws, I would look at see what has the biggest impact. You know, probably they're doing it because it actually stops people from looking at their phone, but but maybe not because I know I've gotten a ticket for looking at my phone, and I still will look at it while I'm driving because it's really hard to not operate with your phone in life. You should be more conscious that when you're driving, it's not good to look at it, and I generally keep it down, especially if I'm like fumbling for a song or whatever, because I'm not trying to. Uh, I'm not trying to get in a car crash. I'm trying to change the song. That's just not worth it to me. I usually make those changes at stoplights, um, and then I have also the, the screen on there, which can which can do its own, some of its own work. Um, I just don't always need to be on the phone. So I don't think you should get tickets for that because it's such an important part of people's day looking at that screen, uh, and it's not gonna, it's going to be pretty easy for most people to fall into that trap. But I'm not sure if I would encourage the autopilot in the movie thing. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll look at the traffic in the UK and we'll see what happens in the US. That's the news in Tesla automation. Well, I guess it wouldn't be Tesla. I guess it would just be automated cars and law in the UK. Okay, next little bit as we wrap up this Friday wrap-up. So I want to talk about two more things. Um, the first is, I'm getting this from CBS News. Here's the headline. Netflix stock plunges 25% after streaming service loses 200k subscribers. Wait, what? Okay, this is new. Now, I was fairly certain from my just last looking into this only about a year ago that Netflix was still really crushing. Although I do know there's probably some sort of uh, wiggle or backlash, not backlash, but some sort of like maybe a rebound effect is a good word, a rebound from the pandemic. But I personally see Netflix as uh, something that you just, you know, you're just going to continue to pay for like a public utility. It's like water. You would need to have it. <laughs> but let's see what this says. Netflix shares slide as it loses 200,000 subscribers. Uh, Netflix shares are sinking sharply. After the streaming service suffered its first subscriber loss in more than a decade. Yeah, that's what I thought. The company's customer base fell by 200,000 subscribers during the January to March period. The company disclosed Tuesday in releasing its latest earnings report. Netflix stock uh, price, price plummeted more than 37% to 219.50 in early trading on Wednesday as investors fretted about the company's slowing growth and mounting competition. UBS analysts uh, downgraded their rating of Netflix stock from buy to neutral, citing fierce competition in streaming. Let's see, I'm getting pop-ups now. In uh, in streaming economic headwinds and market saturation. I mean, okay, let's see. The, the decline in subscribers is the first since Netflix became available throughout much of the world. Uh, outside of China six years ago, the drop this year stemmed part from Netflix's decision to withdraw from Russia to protest its war against Ukraine, resulting in a, uh, resulting in a loss of 700,000 subscribers. So that's, oh, so, so okay. So <laughs> even so, Netflix acknowledges problems are deep-rooted by projecting a loss of another 2 million subscribers April, June. Wow. The company reported uh, revenue of nearly $7.9 billion in the period, falling slightly short of Wall Street's forecast for the current quarter ending in July. Netflix said it expects a revenue of just over $8 billion. Uh, let's see. So this is interesting. So I could read more on this. I think that, one, there are a lot of factors for why things go up and down. and what I read there was that when they withdrew from Russia alone this year, which I, I got to say, like, how much of that is just like corporate uh, virtue signaling? Because what benefit does it do 
any does it do Russian citizens to withdraw from Russia, from you to withdraw streaming Netflix services? I mean, what you're looking to do from a corporate level, if you're if you're looking to uh, to make any impact on the Russian oligarchy or on the government, you'd, you'd stop doing business at that level. But in terms of you offering streaming services in there, I could see maybe you're not shooting on location or paying Russia to produce and produce out of there. But in terms of you having streaming services in Russia, I don't see why that would be a big deal. Now, maybe it's that Russia didn't want them there, but I just don't see why. That seems to me like these are just false virtue signals. And I, I think you'll find that most companies the big ones who withdrew from Russia during this time of Russia-Ukraine war, uh, in solidarity with Ukraine, are just doing it because they're going to be uh, they're going to be blackballed, or they feel they're going to be blackballed or criticized if they don't pull out. But it's like, you know, why? What's the purpose? You know, what's the purpose of pulling out consumer goods companies, pulling out services that regular Russian citizens are using? Like, it's one thing if you're a government contract and you're, you know, but you don't. What's what's the point of that? It just seems like. It's hurting unnecessarily a lot of people. And even if you think they lost 700,000 subscribers from withdrawing from Russia, what was the net benefit of that to Netflix? Who really benefits? The politicians who are thinking that Netflix is a good old boy now? Like, I'm not sure how it really benefits. You know, Nike pulling out of Russia. Like, what's the real benefit? It just seems like it, it only hurts the citizenry and it doesn't really... You think Vladimir Putin cares if Netflix pulls out? Like, I don't know. So I, I just, I don't understand it. But that alone, they lost 200,000 subscribers. So that to me, uh, or that, that alone, they lost 700,000 subscribers and their net loss was only 200,000 subscribers. So that tells me that they're gaining millions of, of subscribers per year or over a million subscribers per year because they were able to withstand a 700,000 subscriber loss. Well, they're, they're, they're at least maintaining, you know, they're maintaining a lot of uh, growth even though they're still in decay. So new people are still coming out, just not at the rate that they're decaying. Um, but they still are growing. And I don't know, I, I just think for me, like it's not that big of, of news that the growth is is declining. Like any mature industry, growth even for the leaders declines. Like like Facebook, for instance, for their advertising platform and for their user base is declining because they've saturated most of the most of the quote first world, the quote rich Western countries. Like if you have a if you live in if if you live in, you know, a rich white country, if you want a Facebook, you have one. That's it. Like you don't You've already made that choice. They're not going to like, you know, entice you to join. And really, they're the real customers of any uh, Facebook or, or advertising-based platform are the ad buyers. And, you know, they're not attracting ad buyers as quickly because there are lots of other platforms to advertise on now. There's obviously always been Google. There's YouTube, which is coming up. There's TikTok. There's, uh, you know, then now streaming services have advertising advertisements in platform. Hulu has advertising in platform. These are called, um, called uh, um, OTT over the top, above the top. Yeah, video, so OTT. So like these services like Roku, Hulu, these different streaming services now offer advertisement in stream. So there's just competition. And Netflix had a great run. Netflix is, their UVP, we talked about this a few Saturdays ago, their UVP at first was, well, just first, first it was their DVD service being um, like available. I think it was like overnight or two day shipping. And then you could return at any time and no late fees and a wide selection. And that was huge because they were competing with Blockbuster in a day where everyone went to Blockbuster and you know bought their VHS or DVD and they were dependent on what their local Blockbuster had. Sometimes you had to go to multiple Blockbusters to get the movie that you wanted. Like, can you imagine? Can you kids imagine having to go to multiple physical locations to find a movie that you want that might not be there if it was a new one? That new Antonio Banderas movie, you're gonna miss it. And um, so, so Netflix was able to 
greatly expand that offering and really solve one of the major pain points with rentals, which was return fees, which is late fees. And Blockbuster even suffered a class action lawsuit because their their late fees are just crazy. You know, they would charge you, charge you like 400 bucks for a late VHS. And that model didn't work for long. And it actually did work for a while, but then it didn't. And so Netflix's UVP, which is their unique value proposition, was first uh, that. And then they moved to streaming. And then their real UVP became original content. You know, they were the first platform to make original shows streaming on only their network. And they took great risk to do that um, because they put a lot of time and money into those. And their first was, I believe, Orange is the New Black. Or it could have been Game, uh, could have been House of Cards. It was one of those two. It might have been House of Cards and then Orange, Orange, or it could have been the reverse. But those were two of the first. and. Those really created a new lane just to, for people, for other networks to say, oh, we don't have to depend on these other Hollywood establishments to give us our content. We can make our own. So we, you know, so, so Amazon, which was already a, a burdening uh, digital company, they had already been huge on, in e-commerce at that point, but they were now becoming even bigger on their digital side, which most people don't know. But Amazon's cloud services business is bigger than all of their, all of their physical product stuff. Amazon is hosting most of the data for most of all of the important stuff in the world. In fact, for a while, I'm not I'm sure it's, this isn't the case anymore, but Amazon was actually the video host of Netflix. So Amazon was so Netflix was running on Amazon. Amazon Cloud Services, Amazon Web3, Amazon Streaming Services powers the majority or I, you know, I don't know if it's actually the majority, but a large part of the streaming services that are going on uh, in the big platforms in the world and uh, they they host a lot of the websites that are up and running in the world right now, and they make more money from cloud services than anything else. So Bezos was very smart in creating that. But either way, um, Netflix and Amazon and then Hulu came, and then you know as the years progressed, it got more and more competitive, and existing cable players like HBO, who already had the reputation, decided to make their foray into it, HBO Max, and then different studios split off, and you had like Paramount Plus, which became... Uh, which was like CBS All Access before that. And you had the Peacock Network and all, all these different networks. And um, I think streaming is really just coming to a point where you have all these big networks and eventually it's just going to start, it's going to start coalescing again. So it's like we had this cable thing where it was like, oh, you got to pay all this money for cable. It's so expensive. We just want to go all the cart. I only want to pay for Netflix. It's only $7 a month. But then they started creating all these different streaming networks and all the streaming networks started buying rights to different types of content. So you got to get all the streaming networks to get access to all this content. And that's why Netflix used to be on Hulu and Hulu paid $100 million for the, or I'm sorry, Seinfeld used to be on Hulu and Hulu paid $100 million to get the Seinfeld rights for like five to seven years. And that ran out and Netflix just bought those probably at like three to five times that price. I'd be curious to see what that is, what the acquisition price was. I'm sure it was for $100 million or more. And um, now I have to make sure that I'm on Netflix and Hulu because who knows who's going to have Seinfeld, you know, whereas, or, or if you watch it on cable, it probably is still streaming on TBS. It's probably is still syndicated on there. They're just making money all over the place. But you have all these networks, whereas before we didn't want to have cable because we didn't want to pay for things we didn't need. Now, if we want something specific, we have to pay extra for that or they bundle in stuff we didn't ask for. So streaming is becoming cable again in some ways, and it's becoming just as expensive, if not more. Um, because you have to pay for all these different services and sometimes inconvenient because you want to watch one thing. I wanted to watch American Greed, but I realized American Greed is on the Hulu Live package. I don't have Hulu Live. I just have Hulu regular. You know, I don't want to pay for another $7 a month to get the one thing I want to watch. And I have all these other streaming networks. You know, I have, I have uh, Paramount Plus just because I wanted to watch Twilight Zone, which was remade for two seasons. And I, I think I'm still streaming, subscribing to it. So anyway, but I didn't expect Netflix to hang on for that long. I didn't expect, I mean, ten, uh, they've been around for more than a decade. 
I didn't ex- 20 years, I think almost, I didn't expect them to constantly be growing every year. That's another thing too, like with entrepreneurship, it's kind of like sick in a way. Like capitalism is kind of sick if you think about it. Like there's a natural growth and decay cycle of everything. So obviously the only goal in a business is to constantly grow, but like they always have these things like Netflix has been growing for two decades and in this one quarter they slipped. Oh no, it's like, bitch. Like we put, we put up numbers every year for two decades. It's still a highly valuable stock. It's still the number one probably app in the whole world. And people are going to complain and they're going to downgrade its stock from, from buy to neutral. It's like, that does, that makes no sense. It makes literally no sense. So yeah, I just, I just think it's interesting how those, the, the mindset of capitalism is so neurotic. Like the mindset of capitalism is always like, oh my God, if it's not, if it's not ticking up, it's not working. We have to keep going. We have to keep growing. We have to keep growing. You slipped 200,000 subscribers. They have millions and millions of subscribers. Now, obviously if you're not growing, you're dying in business. That's a very common thing. But I don't know. I just definitely wouldn't lose faith in Netflix. Like I'm, Whoever is unsubscribing to them, I think is mostly just because of market conditions because no one who actually watch, there's no way I would ever consider unsubscribing because there might be something I want to watch. What if I want to watch? I would just have to resubscribe to it. You know, what you might have is you might have people who are on their family's accounts who just stop paying for it because Netflix did raise the price a few times over the past couple of years and I still don't mind. I don't even know, here's the thing, I don't even know how much I pay for Netflix. I think it's like 10 or $15 a month and they could... They could charge probably me up to $50 per month and I would be okay with it. Because think about how much use you get from it. Think about how much value you get from it. You get all the stuff that you're not going to get in theaters. You probably watch it multiple times per week. And I look, I read a lot of books and I do a lot of stuff that's not looking at the screen. So, but I still spend a lot of time watching TV. Like I do spend a lot of time watching movies. And that's why sometimes I just get so sick of the woke movement. It's like, oh man, you know, you don't want to spend your your mind on that trash, man. Like it's so bad for you, mental programming. You know, like it's like, dude. That is entertainment and it's fun and it's creative. And yeah, I will, you know, sometimes now if I watch a series and I'm really binging it, I do feel bad afterwards because it's too much. You know, it's like eating a really good cake, but like it's too much cake. You eat like, you know, you don't want to eat so much sugar. And after a weekend, like sometimes I'll spend a whole Saturday binging a show. Like what did I binge? I've been binging Last Kingdom. And it's like this medieval show similar to Outlander. Uh, it's like, uh, it's not even like too, there's not too much magic in it. It's mostly just killing. But it's uh, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, but less magic. But um, like there are so many seasons of it. There's like five to eight seasons, and all the seasons have like twelve episodes. And once you start liking one of those series, and this is on Netflix by the way, Last Kingdom. I think it's a Netflix original. And when you see that there are like five, six, seven seasons, and all the seasons have ten episodes, you're like, oh fuck, like I like this, and I have no restrictions. Like my mom can't tell me I can't watch this. My own, it's my own job. I make my own hours. Like unless I have self control, I'm gonna go in on this. And so some Saturdays, man, I'll just sit down and I'll say, you know what? Fuck my life today. Like, I don't care. I'm going to watch this. No one can stop me and I'll be productive tomorrow. And I'll go in and I'll watch. It's amazing how much television you can watch, even just passively. Because I'll, I'll be doing stuff on the couch that day. But dude, literally, I will sometimes watch like six to eight episodes, which would be like six to eight hours, sometimes eight hours or more. So I'm just watching and doing stuff. But I realized, man, I watched eight episodes today. Because there are times where I'll get onto a new show, a new series, and the first season is eight episodes. And I'll start it in the morning. And it'd be like the mid-afternoon and I'm like, how is the season over? How have I watched a whole season and it's like late lunchtime right now or like early dinner? And then I'm like, oh, fuck, that must mean I ate eight hours or, or that must mean I watched eight hours. I ate eight hours. Yeah, I did eight, eight, eight hours of uh, TV. And it does feel like you kind of feel fat and bloated afterwards. Like, oh, fuck. So usually the next day I will like physically fast and I will TV fast and I'll, I'll, do, a, um, I'll do like a, uh, I'll do like a, a mental detox. But I actually kind of like binging and then stopping more than watching a little bit every day. And 
Uh, and then sometimes I'll use it as a different like tool. Sometimes I, I'll just come home and I will watch it with my wife and watch some TV. And like, you know, again, I have so many friends who are so far out on the, like this personal development and the wellness spectrum. Like, oh, I don't watch any TV before bed. I don't, I always wear the blue light, black and glasses, which I wear them too, you know. And uh, I always do this, like my sleep routine. And I'm into a sleep routine as well. But sometimes, man, I just like to watch some TV before bed like a normal American human. And um, and uh, it's good to watch a comedy before bed too because it like loosens it up, it lightens it up. I like to watch something where it has a predictable good ending and it's um, it's just like lighthearted. You know, right now we're watching Abbott Elementary, which is again another Netflix original. And it kind of is shot in the same way as Modern Family, but it's just a Philadelphia elementary school set. So, and, and also as a creative, I look at things from a production perspective. So I'm always looking at how they're shooting things. If it's comedy, I'm looking at the timing. I'm getting something from it too. I am watching it as a consumer, but I'm also looking at it from a production standpoint. And my wife's like, always like, stop talking about the writing on this. Or like, <laughs> you know, she's like, she's always looking at the details. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, you know, enjoy it. I'm like, yeah, it's, I am enjoying it. But same thing as like when you do a lot of writing as well, you can't read something without thinking about how it's written and how you can emulate or not emulate that. So I always think about it from both angles. But Netflix is not going anywhere. I would still say Netflix is a bet. Now, don't, don't, Invest in it based on my advice. Obviously, I'm not as good as the dude, the BBD or the USB or the whatever that bureau was that that downgraded them. But humans are dumb. Uh, capitalism is insane. And you know, watch your TV and eat your fucking greens. So that's it. Uh, much love, guys. Hope you enjoyed this Saturday episode of the podcast. Uh, if you really do enjoy it, make sure you leave a comment and a review because that will let me know that you love me and it'll help us get even better shows going for you. And of course, go to newwaveentrepreneur.com where we have all the latest on this community because again, this podcast is just the podcast. The community is on New Wave Entrepreneur. Get on the email list there, join the Discord and get in there with us, talk to us, join us at these live events, uh, join us when we do these workshops in person and online, uh, get some power packs. Power packs are on there as well. Those are your self-development uh, bundles for you to get moving and get your life going in the right direction that's it my friends the water is warm the tide is rising everyone jump on in and surf this new wave i hope you enjoyed this friday episode because i'm out of here